Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Good morning, Clooney Woods. How's everybody this beautiful Easter morning? Yeah, so good to be together. They shared a little bit earlier, I was preaching to an empty congregation last, last year at this time, so it's so good to be with all of you. And there's something about the body of Christ being able to celebrate together. And today, I'd invite you to take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. While we will look at several of the Gospels, we're going to focus mostly in this passage today as we simply look at an unexpected empty, the resurrection, and uh, the empty tomb and what it says to us this morning I'm excited to go on the journey with you. A couple of months ago, I was visiting one of the senior couples in our church, and I've been over to their house a number of times, and every time I'm with them, they share with me a lot about their story, their growing up years, they'll share how they got to know each other, and they come from such a diverse background that it's really interesting to kind of see how they all come together and how they came together as husband and wife. And um, he began to share with me a little bit about his military experience, and served during the Korean War some, what, 65, 70 years ago, and uh, actually was, was considered mortally wounded. Now, as he's telling me this story, you have to get the idea. He's kind of he's laughing as he's telling the story. Talks about how he was shot. I believe he was shot either in an arm or something like that. I believe he had a second wound, but the one that they believe was, was fatal was the one to his abdomen. And he tells the story. Again, you got to kind of get the picture here. He's laughing as he's telling me this story and so far it's not very funny to me and and he begins to say and they thought I had passed away in fact so much so they put the toe tag on me they placed me in a body bag they zipped the body bag up they placed me where they placed the bodies and he's laughing as he's telling the story and I'm thinking this isn't a funny story and then he says until I realized what had been done, and then a little bit at first, and then louder and louder, get me out of here, let me out of here, get me out of here. And he said, the guys that were in there, he said, you should have seen how white they were to realize that I was still alive. And obviously he made it home, he's safe, he's recovered, and he's lived a number of years. He is well into his, his senior years. And I was thinking about that story, and I suppose from this vantage point telling the story, he can kind of celebrate it a little bit. But I'm thinking, if you think that was something, imagine the first Easter. Uh, imagine the, the earthquake. Imagine the stone rolled away. Imagine the angels and the, and the guards trembling. Imagine, if you will, going to a tomb thinking that you're going to prepare and anoint a body that is now in burial and there's an empty tomb and then throughout the day in fact over the next 40 days having these encounters with the one that not only had thought they had just died but has been in the tomb now for several days 
That's the John chapter 20. That is the gospel passages. And it says this in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now the other Gospels add in, and there were several other ladies with her, a couple of them with the name of Mary, and they saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other uh, disciple. Whenever you see the other disciple in the book of John, John is referring to himself. Just out of humility, he didn't want to kind of put himself into the first person, and so he always refers to himself as the other disciple or the one that Jesus loves. So she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they would have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went to the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth, which had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb... Uh, first also went in and he saw and he believed they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead the next passage talks about a personal encounter that Mary Magdalene actually has with Jesus and then in verse 19 it says on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, it's interesting, it's become my habit over the years that as I come into the final weeks before Easter, I like to make my way through the Gospels. I don't always read all of them all the way through, but generally I will pick one and I will read it all the way through. And then as I get to about a week or a week and a half before Easter celebration, I will go into the final week and the final teachings of Jesus' life and I will read through all the Gospels and begin to kind of just re-immerse myself within the teachings of Jesus. By the time that I get to Monday, Thursday, this last Thursday, I will begin to, on that day, read all of the gospel accounts, usually of the anointing of Jesus and the agreement to betray Jesus all the way until you get to his trials and even his flogging. Good Friday, I spend that morning usually going through the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. And then Saturday, coming into Sunday, I always read all of the gospel accounts of the resurrection. Because as I look at the different perspectives of the authors, they they fill in some of the blanks, some of the missing pieces to get a more inclusive and and full encounter. But it's interesting to me, it's just how, how, how immediately things changed because of an empty tomb. Mary went there looking for, let's be honest, a dead body. Mary went there looking and would have been happy just to be able to have a dead body that she could have anointed. 
everything changed. In fact, what's interesting that when the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, it actually begins to speak some unexpected promises to us that I guarantee they never thought on Friday they would ever hear. The first promise that just jumps out to me really is kind of aimed at Peter, and it's, it's the promise that your failures don't have to be final. Peter is a guy who failed. Peter is a guy who sinned. By the way, all of them sinned. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Peter, I kind of identify with Peter. There's a reason that when Mary went back and told them that the tomb was empty, there's a reason that Peter went running and John went running. John is the disciple Jesus loved, probably his closest earthly friend Peter as the one who's going to lead but the one who I won't say he failed the worst but his was the most public it was the biggest colossal one and I kind of identify with Peter Peter was the guy who was a little brash at times showed tremendous faith in moments and other times it was a little spotty made some pretty cool declarations other times he failed his mouth was a little too big, I identify, and had a colossal failure. And if you've ever had a failure in your life, if you've ever had a sin in your life, if you've ever come up short, in the moment that Peter denied Christ the third time, as the rooster crowed, if that was the last scene, we don't really see Peter after that. We don't know if Peter was hiding in a house somewhere. We don't know if Peter went to a friend's house to commiserate. We don't know if he went all the way home. I happen to think, I think, there's no proof, I think Peter was actually at the crucifixion scene but I think he was watching from a distance. John is the only one we have any evidence that was within view of Jesus. And had the tomb remained closed, that would have been the last moment that Peter could have ever experienced any kind of personal forgiveness. Yeah, he probably could have had a sacrifice done for him, Certainly, God probably could have covered his sin through a high priest. But if he ever wanted to experience any kind of a personal forgiveness, the cross would have been the last chance. And so I think there's a reason that Peter runs to the grave. Because I think Peter, maybe hope beyond hope, hope beyond any reason, thinks maybe... Maybe he really is alive. Maybe there is a chance of restoration. Maybe there is an opportunity for me not to have my failure be my final statement. By the way, it's interesting what Scripture says. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life 
for our justification. That word justification, it's a legal term. It's actually an accounting legal term. It means that it puts us to where we're balanced. It means we're put into a right relationship with God. Back in theology school, we used to say justification means it's just as if I never did it, but it goes so much deeper. It means that I'm right where I need to be before God. And the cross paid for our sins but the resurrection was the exclamation mark that said, and you can be restored into a right relationship with God. It screams that from the empty tomb. If you have a failure in your past, or even if it's not that past, it doesn't have to be final. The empty tomb promises something else, and that is, is that your past doesn't have to become your identity. In fact, I love this. It doesn't have to define who you are. Uh, notice what it says in verse 1. Early the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, all the gospel writers have Mary Magdalene going to the tomb. All of the gospel writers say that she was involved in this whole thing. Um, it's interesting because... History and legend has a lot to say about Mary Magdalene. In fact, a lot of what it has to say is really just legend. It's not actually scriptural. Mark says in chapter 16 of Mark, he says Mary Magdalene, the one whom Jesus cast seven demons out of, she was the first one to have an encounter with Jesus. So we know that Mary had something going on, okay? Normally, you don't have a demon possession going on unless you got something going on. But over time, as often happens with our reputation, people began to kind of assume some things. For example, uh, history legend has it that Mary Magdalene was one of, she was the sinful woman who anointed the feet of Jesus. In fact, some say that because she had a life of sin, the presumption is, is that she was a prostitute. There, there's no evidence of that in Scripture. There's nothing that states that. But you know how it is? Our past, people begin to kind of make up things to exaggerate it just a bit. But we know two things about Mary for sure. She was a woman. Now, I know that doesn't sound like much, right? But actually, as a woman, her testimony didn't re mean a whole lot. And I find it so interesting that Jesus' first appearance was to a woman because in that culture, it wouldn't have meant anything. Paul doesn't even mention her when he mentions the litany of the individuals that saw Jesus. And it's not because he was a chauvinist. It's because he was making a legal argument to the proof that Jesus really was alive. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that he appeared first to Peter, then to the other apostles. He doesn't even mention the ladies. But it's because Paul understood that in that culture, they weren't going to listen to the testimony. In fact, it's interesting. Read all of the gospel accounts. When Mary goes back and she says, I've seen the risen Lord, they didn't believe her. But it's more than that. We know she had a past. She had, she had a past. We don't have to fill in the blanks. We don't even have to conjecture as to how deep the sin was, but we know she had a past. And you know what's interesting is you don't have to be a prostitute to have a past. You ever sinned? Look at the person next to you. Yep. They did. In fact, I'll just guess 
multiple hundreds of times. You ever failed? Ever disappointed somebody in a relationship? Ever used language that you're not proud of? Ever had too much to drink? Ever gotten pulled over? Ever been divorced? Ever stepped outside of what biblical boundaries are on the expression of your sexuality? Ever acted like a non-believer? Ever fill in the blank? And I find it so interesting how many times we are defined by what we've done or what somebody did to us or who our family is. And Jesus said, that's not your identity anymore. Your identity is in me. I'm the one who defines you. One of my favorite passages of Scripture was one I found the summer that I came to Christ in 1986. And I have loved this passage ever since. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You're welcome to follow along or if you have your notes, they're in there as well. Or if you have it on version, you can watch it that way. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So from now on, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Why? Because the world defines you by what you have done, what has happened to you, or who your family is. We don't, we don't look at people that way, although we once looked at Christ that way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Verse 20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you realize that you are a royal representative of the king? We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, I love that phrase, in him, in him I am a child of God, in him Paul says, I am adopted into the family of God. In him, I am able to come before the throne of grace where we find mercy in our time of need. Through him, I'm able to come near to the throne of grace. In him, I have peace. In him, we find our identity. In him, in him, he says, he says this, in him, we become the righteousness of God. Man, I'll tell you what, I have probably said some things about myself, but it never occurred to me to say, I am the righteousness of God. But I am in Him. All because of Him. Hey, I'm going to say a few words. Hopefully, you'll be okay saying it after me, okay? We're going to kind of, I'm going to say it, and then you shout it back if you can agree with it. Ready? In Him, I am a new creation. Ready? In Him, I am a new creation. In Him, I am God's ambassador. In Him, I am God's ambassador. Oh, this is the one. In Him, I am the righteousness of God. In Him, I am the righteousness of God. And an empty tomb shouts that. You have a new identity.
Your failure is not final. Number three, you don't have to be led by fear anymore. And there's a lot of fear in this passage. Let me tell you, you read through this and you get all of the gospel accounts. There is, and by the way, I always talk about the close cousins of fear. Anxiety, worry, stress, fear, all of them kind of go together. This whole passage is full of fear. Pilate washed his hands because he was afraid of the crowd. He didn't want to make a judgment about Jesus, even though he knew he was innocent. Uh, the high priests and the Pharisees, because they were afraid of the crowd, they did all of their stuff in secret. The disciples, because they were afraid, every one of them ran. Remember that? Not just Peter. All of them ran. Peter, out of fear, denied him three times. At the tomb, it says that the ladies, when they saw the tomb was empty, they left with some joy, but they were afraid. When the soldiers encountered the angel that moved the stone away, they were afraid. And on that first evening of Easter, look what it says, chapter, uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 19. On the evening of the first week, or the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. It is so interesting how fear, in fact, in Genesis 3, fear was one of the very first responses to sin. Adam heard God in the garden. He said, I heard you and I was afraid. One of the biggest consequences of sin in, our, in, in, in the world is just simply fear. And it's really interesting because it's something that we've become very accustomed to more and more over the last year. There was a study done by the Kaiser Family Foundation who studies mental health. They did a study from 2018-19 into 2021 currently as they survey and look at families and talk about mental health issues. It's interesting, in 2019, one out of every 10 adults that they surveyed self-identified as someone who dealt with anxiety or a depressive disorder. 2020, four out of 10. Self-identified, which means what? They were feeling it. And maybe there's cause, but it's interesting. It's interesting how when things begin to just kind of fall apart around us, how fear has a way of gripping us. And I love, isn't it interesting? Uh, if you were to go to Matthew's gospel, don't have to go there, but at the end of the resurrection story, it's really interesting that Matthew chooses to position this last statement from Jesus when he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Surely I will be with you until the end of the age. You don't have to be afraid. I have all authority and I'll be with you. Paul, Paul when he prays for believers, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he has called you because hope is not a verb, it is a noun, it is a dowry chest. 
It is a box that has your inheritance set aside for you in heaven. In the old days, a dowry chest would be put by parents. They would place invaluable things for the day in which their daughter would meet her future husband. They would present him or her to the groom and they would present the dowry chest. The reference Paul is making is that when you came to Christ, your hope, your inheritance was set aside for you in heaven it's not a question it's a certainty and he says when you have that kind of certainty you can have all kinds of confidence the empty tomb just kind of screams that your failure your failure doesn't have to be final your past does not have to define you and you don't have to be led by fear let me give you the last one you don't have to be empty anymore. There's an empty tomb so that you don't have to feel empty. And John says this. I never saw this quite in this fashion. But John says in verse 30, Jesus did other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. I mean, this isn't the only thing Jesus did. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name by believing in him. Translation, you don't have to be empty. And there's a lot of reasons people are empty. Some are empty because of what they're experiencing in life. Maybe it's a loss they've gone through. Maybe it's a lack of direction or purpose. But I got to tell you, how many, how many today, whether it's here or listening online or around your neighborhood, they feel empty because they don't, they don't have any certainty of anything beyond this life. And John says there's an empty tomb so you don't have to be. There's an empty grave, so you don't have to. One of my favorite songs is by a, a group that I actually discovered 20 years later than I should have. I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I grew up in the 70s. I went to high school in the 80s. I'm pretty much an 80s kid. But it wasn't until 20 years later that I discovered a group that was really prevalent in the 80s. You're going to laugh at me. It was U2. It was Bono. I never listened to their stuff. Man, got into, the, got into 2000, 2005, and I'm like, I discovered it. I'm listening to it all the time. It's on every, I'm downloading this all I can. Back then, we still had these things called CDs. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but you had to put them on your computer and then download them as that whole thing. And, and one of the songs that I, I mean, ever since the first time I heard it, I've loved it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It was recorded in a church. A lot of people say it is a it's kind of a gospel anthem. 
Rolling Stone magazine did an interview with Bono to talk about the spiritual nature of this song. Bono pushed back a little bit and he said, well, it's more of an anthem for the searching, restless soul. He said, he said it's a gospel anthem, but he says it, it really is talking more about my doubt than it's talking about my beliefs. It's a celebration of the wandering, restless spirit. I have climbed highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these cities' walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Some people get a little nervous on the next one. I just figure it's Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. I have kissed honey lips. I have felt the healing in her fingertips. It burned like fire, this burning desire. Solomon says, I looked everywhere for satisfaction, including pleasure. I have spoken with the tongue of angels. I have held the hand of the devil. It was warm in the night, and I was cold as a stone. And I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I'm just going to take Bono at his word that it focused more on his doubt then it focused on his beliefs. But if Bono was here, first of all, I'd ask him to sing the song. And I think I would ask one of two questions, if not both of them. First of all, how's that working for you? How's it working? Because what I see is a guy who feels empty, has everything, has nothing. My second question would be, have you found him yet? All my life long, I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst that I felt within. Oh, hallelujah, I have found Him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. Through His blood I now am saved. I guarantee Even as believers, there are some of you that are here today that feel empty, you're afraid. The enemy keeps reminding you of your failure and your past has become present. It's like it identifies you and it doesn't have to because the tomb is empty. 
Jesus, I thank you for your victorious resurrection. I I thank you even for your victorious work on the cross. And Lord, today I thank you that we get to come together as a body of Christ and we celebrate what you have done and who you are. And precisely because you're alive, precisely because you didn't remain in the grave, precisely because of what that means of who you are, it's like a divine exclamation mark that says, don't let the world or Satan define you by your failures in your past. Your identity is in me. Come to me. Cling to me. John says to all who receive him, imagine right now opening your arms and embracing Jesus and what he did for you and what's to do in you. To all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God, a brand new identity. So Jesus, I'm tired I'm tired of all that other stuff and I'm tired of feeling empty. You're the one that I'm looking for. What a great day this Easter morning, 2021. I say yes to you. Make me into the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God that you want me to be. And each day, Lord, just keep renewing this in me. I want to live in your future. I I, I want to be guided by your hand. I'll be cautious. I'm going to be cautious, but Lord, I don't want to live in anxiety and fear. I cast it all upon you because you care for me. Fill me. Give me purpose and fullness. I, I claim that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.